I'm excited to be with you today as we kick off a three-week teaching series called Life from Death. And this week is going to be different than the next two weeks. We're going to apply a lot of this to the life of our church in the season that we're in as a church. You probably didn't notice, but there were a couple little things slightly different. During the social 45, we had less social music going uh, to kind of set the mood a little bit that we are having a service of remembrance today or a bereavement service, or if you're like, dude, what's that? It's a funeral. We're having a funeral today. How many people love funerals? That'd be creepy. I'm glad you didn't say yes. That'd be super creepy. Uh, Funerals, no one likes funerals, right? Like it's sad. We're going to talk today about what it means to mourn and to mourn well. And I find in a culture where we love to be positive, we rarely talk about some of these very hard things of life. We're going to talk about what it means to mourn. Our theme verse for these three weeks is John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. These are Jesus' words before he's about to be crucified. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I love the graphic the team created as you see life coming from death, beauty coming from darkness. And We're going to talk about what that looks like when you go through hard seasons of life. The big question I want to ask you is, how do you deal with death and change in your life? Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, we've had people, every service come up to me afterwards that this deeply impacted a a young woman last night that found our banner on 465 at the new facility near Michigan Road, and she began coming to the church just in the last few weeks, and her uh, fiancé passed away two years ago. And she was talking about what it was like to still be mourning it two years later, picking up the phone, wanting to call or text someone that she no longer could. And maybe you're here today and you're going through a season of of loss. Whether it's loss of a job, a loss of a loved one like I described, or the loss of a friend, a broken relationship, a loss of uh, a pet, something that was dear to you. But there are different seasons of loss that we can go. I've been through a season of loss, and many of you know that. I'm going to share that today. But out of that, we're going to apply a majority of it directly to the life of our church. If you're new to Mercy Road, exciting things are happening. Uh, We have seen God create a church in seven and a half years that has grown and multiplied and grown to a a larger church and been through. This is about our fourth or fifth season in the life of our church, meeting in a home and then a a school and then a small lease building and then this facility and now sending out in four districts. different directions, new Mercy Road churches with the same name, vision, and values, but will be separate churches. Our goal is multiplication, not one large church with video venues. It's a different model. And we believe God's going to use it. And we've seen all kinds of people coming to Christ and being baptized. We had 2,300 people at Easter time. And we saw 18 people at one service give their life to Christ in June. And we saw more people get back. All these great stuff, right? We had a sermon series we did in June called Rally Caps, and over 100 of you stepped up to volunteer and get involved, and you're new to the show. It's amazing. It's a great season. But you know what? Things are about to change. And a lot of exciting new things are going to come in this new season. But we felt like we wanted to honor the past and remember it and, and mourn together as a community that things are going to change. And so that's what today is really about. Are you ready to study God's Word together, church? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. When was the last time you heard a sermon from Deuteronomy 34? You're going to hear it today. In John chapter 1, it deals with the death of Moses. 
Here's what it says. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 first in Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you want to power on your Bibles or turn on the one in your book rack. In verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Let me read that again. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. They haven't entered into the promised land yet. See, all the way back in Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, hey, Abe, your descendants are going to be many of the sands of the seashore, and you're going to have all this land, the, the promised land. And, and then he, Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has the 12 sons of Israel. And then those 12 sons become 12 tribes. But one of those sons, Joseph, gets sold into slavery because he had a fancy coat. He gets down there into Egypt. He get, ascends to the right hand of the Pharaoh. He has great power. There's a famine in the land. And all, the, uh, all of his family moves down to Egypt and is able to survive the famine. And they lived there in Egypt for 400 years, and they multiplied greatly to hundreds of thousands of Israelites, but they're enslaved in the process. And they cry out to God to free them from their oppressors, the Egyptians, and eventually God hears their cries, and he sends this great prophet, Moses, the guy that does all these miracles. He, he literally is going to come in, and he sees the burning bush, right? He sees God face to face, and he's going to come into Egypt, and he's going to bring the ten plagues, and then he's going to go to the Red Sea, and he's going to part it, and they're going to cross over on dry ground, and then they're going to get into the wilderness, and they're going to get the Ten Commandments. And Moses is the guy in the Bible that walks down with the Ten Commandments twice. <laughs> Not Charlton Heston, it was Moses. And so in all of that, when we read that Moses dies and doesn't get to enter the promised land, this is a pretty big blow to the Israelites. Look what it says in verses uh, 10 through 12. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There would never be another Moses again. The season was over. And now they're supposed to believe that they're to enter into the promised land. Now let me give you a little backstory. Some of it makes sense. It says that the Lord said it would be true, and this is why, because when they first get out of Egypt, they're supposed to go right into the promised land. They send out 12 spies, great Christian leaders, or Israelite leaders, to go into the promised land and kind of scout it out. They go in there, and 10 of the 12 men come back, and they say, there's a whole bunch of giants there. We shouldn't go. We're all going to die. And so because of the failed faith and leadership of 10 men, an entire generation spent their life in the desert. In a culture where being a believing Christian and practicing your faith out is becoming increasingly uncommon. What could change a generation is just a few men and women who lead by faith in their daily lives. It could impact a generation. There were two men that did. It's Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that came back and said, yeah, we could do it because we got God. <laughs> That's all we need. And those two men will be the only two men that get to go into the promised land of those original 12. Moses doesn't even get to go in. 
Now, how many of you here uh, love change? You love change. Like, you just, it's your thing. Okay, yeah, a few of you risk takers. Yes, my wife, one of them. Anyone else? Uh, Tim, yeah, okay, a few of you. More at this service than most services. Five, that's incredible. How many of you hate change? Like, you just despise it? You don't want anything to do with change? Come on now, be honest, because I think there's a lot of liars here, because I know the odds. Yes, most, okay, a lot of hands going up. Finally, how many of you will never raise your hand for anything I ever say during a sermon? I got you to do it, yes. But the truth is, most of us don't like change. You may think, well, you're a church planter, you love change. I don't love change. They actually assessed our staff. I'm kind of like in the middle. I kind of like it sometimes, and I kind of don't sometimes. But I, I don't, for the most part, like change. I don't even like change in small things. My wife, who's sitting in the front row at this service, she tried to get me to change my toothpaste recently. She said, you need to stop using that old school white stuff. You need to do this new charcoal thing. It's going to make your teeth whiter. And I was like, why do I want to put like brown or, cho- or black dust into my mouth, looking like I've been eating bugs or something? I don't want to do that. That's weird. But then I tried it. My teeth turned whiter. It was great. I did it for weeks. And you know what happened next? I decided it was still weird, and I didn't want to do it anymore. I went back to the old stuff. Amen? Because we don't like change. We don't like change in our daily life, and that's what makes seasons of change hard. And I want to apply that to our church today. Like, you know, we're not making an analogy between Moses or Joshua, Caleb, anybody in the church, but that season of change to believe that God was still going to show up was very difficult for the Israelites. I believe today for us in this next season, it's going to be difficult. There are going to be some of you that have attended church together as family or friends for years and been a part of this community, and you're going to be split up going to different locations and eventually separate churches. Some of you are, uh, it's going to change maybe your worship habits or the rhythms that you've gotten into. And if you were like, I just want to go to the same place and the same location, the same church for the next 50 years, go out to eat afterwards with the same people, I, I totally get it totally get it. The problem is you don't see it in the New Testament, right? Like we would not be sitting here today if that's what church was. Church was a community on mission together. It wasn't about what I could get from it, about, but about what I could give together in a community to make an impact that will last for eternity. Church isn't a worship gathering. It is a community on mission. And so I share all of that, and you've heard me say things similar to that before, but what I want to talk about today is it's okay to address that a season, a great season of our church is about to end. We've had this conglomeration of communicators and worship leaders and volunteers that now are going to be spread out throughout the city and state to make an even greater impact. And I'm reminded of another version of Moses' death in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... Excuse me. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Today is really simple. We're going to talk about what it means to truly mourn. And then number two, we're going to talk about what it means to allow God to be present with you as you're mourning in seasons of loss. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors 
to give them. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we pause, and I just can't believe on uh, July, beautiful July weekend, all these people packed out this room this morning to come and study your word and worship you. And we just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us today. And I have to imagine in a room like this, there are those who wouldn't consider themselves a Christian with us. Thank you that they had the courage to come here today. We believe nobody's too far from God, from you, God, to experience life change through Jesus, that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so we all come to you as a community with our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and our loss. And we ask you just to speak to us through Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen. Amen. I told you I wanted to apply this a lot to our church today. You know, uh, how many were around in the College Avenue days at the little building off of College Avenue? Quite a few, a few of you. I used to sit in a chair like this every weekend, and I had a handheld microphone like this every week because I was never sure if the headset would work properly because we didn't have great technology. And uh, I sat in a chair like this because the room was so small, I was afraid if I stood up, it would feel like I was imposing myself over people. <laughs> if you missed the days, kind of the history of our church, we've been through about four or five seasons. The, the first one was in our home, and my wife and I moved here from Southern California. She uh, grew up in Southern California. I'd been out there for seven years working at a large church, and, and we moved across the country, and 10 people began to meet in our home. And that began to grow. And we started five outposts, microchurches or missional communities that we still do today. We started five of those before we started the worship service because we wanted people to see that was every bit as much church. That church wasn't a worship gathering, it was a community on mission together. And then we started the worship service at Clay Middle School, just up the road here in Carmel. And this huge auditorium. And it was a rough first year. My, my wife and I, during the pre-launch phase, we lost a child. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, but many of you have heard his story. It was a very hard and difficult season. We went to Clay Middle School, and we kind of lost a little bit of momentum, and the church kind of came, bottomed out about 60 to 70 people. And then we just started reaching one family at a time, one new believer, one new baptism. We didn't, couldn't even do baptism. We used to baptize people at the White River, <laughs> which I don't know if you're not from Indiana and you haven't gone to the White River, you usually don't get into that river. But... We, we didn't have any place, and a local church let us use their baptism place a few times. And then we ran out, we ran out of time at the school. You could only be there for a year. And the church began to grow, and we, we grew to a massive growth from about 70 people to about 100 to 125 people. And then we leased this little building off of College Avenue, about four or five minutes west of here. But it was seven miles from the previous location. And when we got in there we began to reach more people for Christ and the church began to grow and it began to grow rapidly. And I always remember our second birthday celebration as the turning point for our church. You don't have to believe what I'm about to share. Some of you heard me say this before, but we did, decided to do baptisms that week. We didn't have a tank like this. We had a horse trough that we filled up with ice cold water. You literally died with Christ and rose again. <laughs> and we did it in the lobby together. And uh, we did 12 baptisms that birthday celebration, which was the most baptisms we had ever done in a weekend. And uh, we did it there in the horse trough, and we got done with the baptisms, and um, Teresa Lee was actually in the front row at the last service. She was one of those 12 people. And I, this moment happened where we got done with the 12, and we sang Amazing Grace with the acoustic guitar together. We, we get done, and then the room starts shaking. 
And I'm talking like shaking, like I feel like I'm going to fall over into the horse trough. And I'm like, everybody just stops. And we're like, what in the world was that? And coming from Southern California, I had experienced earthquakes before. So I, you know, should have thought, well, that was an earthquake. We just had an earthquake in Indiana. But you can look those things up on your phone. We didn't have an earthquake. So I didn't think anything spiritual. I thought that something's wrong with the building. This building's going to fall down. Call the engineers that own this property and tell them to figure out what's wrong so we don't all die. So they came out and looked all week. They could find nothing structurally wrong, anything that would have caused the type of shaking that felt, I mean, it literally felt not just like a little earthquake, like a pretty decent earthquake. And so to this day, I still believe that what we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, actually occurred in that moment that there was a little earthquake in that room that anybody that was there at that service on that day all got to experience because the spiritual moment was the turning point for our church. And you don't have to believe that, but I believe it. And what happened was then the church began to grow even more rapidly, and we went from one to two services, and then uh, we went to three services, and then four Sunday morning services, and then we used to do a, a separate service on Sunday night for young adults we called Remix. Anybody from the Remix days? And yeah, yeah, we, we did some of that, and, and it was like five services every weekend, including the young adult one on Sunday night, and it was just nuts. People sitting on the floor at services, parking in the grass, like it was crazy. And then we were like less than three years old as a church. And we were like, what are we going to do? We got to find a space. But we'd never raised more than, I don't know, like $25,000 before or something. And we decided we we're going to try and raise $700,000, even though the experts told us we're going to raise about two hundred fifty. And then instead of doing it in two years, we had to figure out how to do it in two months. And this crazy, all this stuff happened and it happened. We bought this building and we took 10 months to renovate it, did it for half the cost, what every uh, person told us we could do. And because we used hundreds of volunteers to do it. By the way, Michigan Road's going to need hundreds of volunteers at the new location in the next two months as we are to the point with all the painting and all the stuff that anybody can do is occurring. We need you to fill out a Connect card and let us know. You're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks. But we were, uh, we, we were going through that season. We get over here, and then the church grew even more. We reached even more people for Christ, and we began to see, like, Dozens of people at individual services coming to Christ and getting baptized and the church began to grow rapidly. And then we had 2,300 people at Easter and we've begun, you know, now we have four services and all this stuff. In the middle of the summertime, you guys packed the room out. We had more at 9 a.m. than I thought we'd have. So it's like God's still on the move. And now we're sending out these locations and in each of these seasons, all of these amazing kingdom growth things happen. But you know what else happens? Loss. Hard parts of that. See, I also remember meeting in our house, and a, a good friend of mine would come every Tuesday night to the Bible study we would have. I, I can't confirm this. I love him to death, but I'm pretty sure he came high a number of times at, to the Bible study, and I loved ministering to this. He's like a friend of mine. We went to the school, and he stopped attending. And we saw a bunch of people come to Christ. A lot of new people began to be ministered to. But I also had to go through that and mourn that because things changed. When we went from the school over to College Avenue, there were families that when we moved seven miles west that stopped attending. That was really hard. When we moved from College Avenue over here, there were people that sacrificed for years their time, talents, and treasures to further the kingdom of God through Mercy Road Church. Then when we got over here, the church changed because they could no longer know everyone and have that sense of community they had in such a small building and a small number of people that when we got over here and became a larger church, and some of you came from uh, much larger churches, you're like, this is a small church. And, and it, the change happens no matter which uh, way you're coming from. Whether you came from the big or from the small, it felt different. 
And some of those people, they had to adapt to a different church because we were no longer the same church. And in this next season, it's going to happen again. We're going to send these churches out, and we will no longer be the same church again. And that's hard. And you know what? In a church that loves positivity, in a culture that loves positivity, we need to talk about it's okay to be sad and to mourn. Do you realize in the Bible there's an entire book in the Old Testament called Lamentations? It's 22 chapters long. It begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each chapter is how to be sad. That means that God put a book in the Bible that literally goes from A to Z of how to be sad, and that's all it's about. Shouldn't we do a better job mourning? So while we're going to talk about all the exciting things to come, today is about mourning. And the first point I'd like to just share from the passages that we read is we must mourn the death of a season. Us as a church, but also as individuals. Look what uh, happens here in verse 12 again of chapter 34. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. It was never going to be the same again, and the Israelites knew it. And this is what happens when God sends you through a season of change or loss or death. You, you, you're heading into a season where you feel ill-prepared for it. And yet the Israelites will end up with the promised land, but it doesn't mean it wasn't hard. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For the sake of time, I won't read the first eight verses. You can do it on your own. Uh, you all know it anyway because there's a 60s song that the hippies loved about to every season there is a change. Turn, turn, turn. Did I get that right? You remember that song? It comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there are seasons for everything and change is a natural process and part of life. And the truth is, when we're applying it to the church, it's actually much easier than the loss of a family member or friend or loved one. Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of positive that could come out of that. Right? The church, it's like we're going to see new people come to Christ and all of that. But it doesn't seem like a lot of positive when a family member or friend passes away. And I want to talk about how to mourn and how to allow God to be with you in that loss. But I do want to apply it to our church. That if you're here today and change is hard for you, and this next season you feel a little overwhelmed, I get it. And we're going to talk about the exciting stuff and the hope for the future in the coming weeks, but today I want to mourn with you because I've loved every season of our church, and I know I'm going to love the next one, but I've really enjoyed these last few years, and it's been a blast, and things are going to change, and we're going to get to see God move again just like the book of Acts. We can mourn with each other. And so I thought it would be good to hear from someone in the church who has gone through every season, and it's not me. And so we, we interviewed uh, a staff member. He was one of the original 12 people in the church, also the most ADD person I have ever worked with or been friends with, and this video interview reflects that. Let's watch this six-minute video together, and then I have one more point. Hey, Eric, man, you've been here at Mercy Road since the early days of great sacrifice, before there was a building, before there was a gathering place, any of that kind of stuff. People like me, we've only been here a year. We've only kind of known Mercy Road here at this location. Could you just kind of take us down a journey of what it was like in those early days? How did it start? What was that like for you, man? Just bring us into kind of your experience wow. over the years. Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was a lot different than it is today. We uh, started with church in a box. So we would roll the church off of a trailer and into uh, middle school and get there super early in the morning. I think uh, I was usually playing in 
bars the night before, so I'd sleep like three hours. And it, it's kind of weird, you know, because I think about those seasons and they're so different and there's so many great memories with each of those seasons, but a lot of sacrifice early on. The early days, okay, setting up in a school, all that kind of stuff. Now, what happened when we moved to the College Avenue building? College Avenue was crazy. That was, uh, I felt like if we were going to, you know, just be right at fire code, it was maybe 130 people could even fit in that auditorium we had. And, and so we would run up to four services in a day. And it's amazing how so many of our volunteers were willing to do that. You know, weeks in a row, just let's do it. Four Sunday uh, services, that's just a lot. We used to have this green room at the College Avenue. And if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, um, you're gonna know what the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were really like, you know? And so basically, where they lived in the sewers, that's what our green room looks like in the College Avenue building, so. If you yeah. were a Ninja Turtle, which one would you be? Leonardo, for sure, yeah. I, I don't see that at all. I yeah. actually see Michelangelo, the, the one with the nunchucks. Yeah. Little, always eating pizza, late. Yeah. I didn't understand character development back then. I just liked the color blue. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. What was it like moving from College Avenue to starting to renovate this Keystone facility. Yeah, moving here was really exciting. I mean, I felt like it was it was one of those experiences where the whole church came together to, to pull this thing off. I mean, this church is pretty much, this building was renovated by volunteers. And then by the time we had that first service in here, I'll never forget how many people gave up their time, their talents, their treasure to be here uh, to make this space special. And it, it's just been a great season being here. Eric, tell us, you know, you've been through all these changes in Mercy Road when we went from, you know, the Hoosman House to the school, to the school, yeah. to College Avenue, to College Avenue, to Keystone. What was hard? What was emotional about yeah. each one of those changes for you? I mean, what I've loved about every season, it, they're, they're so different. I mean, the first season, we all had to just take ownership because if we didn't invite friends and family, no one was going to come to church, you know? And, and so when you link arms with just a few people and you all have that level of ownership and buy-in, it really did uh, create a tight-knit core, you know. And then what I love about College Avenue, that building, was, you know, we got to see the fruit of that commitment. You know, there were so many people who were new to the church that had found out through a friend of a friend, and it was just, it was growing. We had to have multiple services, and um, to just see so many people start giving their lives to Christ, start finding their mission, finding their community, and seeing people want to get married and, and baptize and dedicate their kids at our church. I, thought, I think that was one of my favorite parts, you know. Um, what, what was neat about the third season was a little different was, I'm, I mean, it was, it was big enough at this point, you didn't feel like you knew everyone like you did in the earlier season. So that, that felt a little weird at first, you know, that there were so many tight-knit communities within this larger community. And so I, I miss some of the old days where we all knew each other, but at the same time, I can't believe how much life change I've gotten to experience sitting front row at, at this season of our church. It's just been a blast. And I don't just mean people discovering a relationship with Christ for the first time. That's one of my favorite things as an evangelist. But to see Christians who have only been a Christian for a matter of months go through something like Rooted and find their mission and start stepping into that so fast. And it's happening. It's happening all the time. We get to hear those stories. And so it's been a really fun season and I'm looking forward to the next one. Eric, you know, for some of the people who maybe not experienced some of these changes like you have or maybe some others have at Mercy Road, tell us, you know, kind of some words of wisdom, some encouragement to us as we get ready to go into this season of change. And I think the first thing I'd say is it's okay to be sad that this season is coming to an end. I mean, to be honest with you, I've kind of mourned the end of each one of those seasons. I mean, you know, change is always kind of jarring and it's, it's never fun at first. There's some things you're excited about, but there are a lot of things that were just different and really sweet about those other seasons. 
Um, but the other thing I'd say is like my, my friend Chase, who I had the honor of baptizing in this baptismal here, um, like getting to have him in my huddle this last year and getting to chase Jesus together and, and he got to go through Rooted recently, like that, that would have never happened if we didn't have this season. And so you just never know what God's going to do with this next season. And I think that that's we're, we're built for it. We're built for serving God in the unknown places where we have to lean into Him and see what He's going to do. And so I am excited to see what God is going to do through this next season as we scatter. Mercy Road is such a pioneering church. It always has been. I, I, I love that about our team and about our church. It's like if you're one of those Christians who wants to be able to sit in the same pew for the next 40 years, you know, and go to Hardy's afterwards and sit in the same booth there, I don't even know if Hardy's will really survive the franchise war. I've seen yeah. Judge Dredd, yeah. so I don't know yeah. if that'll even happen. Yeah. Um, I got a little sidetrack there. It was a just dread with Santa Bullock. It was Demolition Man. Because Taco Bell was the only one who survived it. Yeah. I could recommend a fast food restaurant. Where would you encourage people to go? Hardy's is out, dude. Hardy's Roast beef? Yeah. Chick-fil-A all the way? Christian chicken, baby. I don't eat fast food on a Sunday because Chick-fil-A is not even open. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Burger King? Burger King? Yeah. Are you a Grimace fan? McDonald's? There's only one king. Jesus. Isn't Eric the best? Love him to death. There were some hidden nuggets of wisdom in there about what it's like to go through seasons of change and what we've experienced in each step of the way. And, you know, I, I love the approach our church has always had, pioneering with a whole lot of humor, having a lot of fun along the way, but also acknowledging that each new season is going to be hard. And it's going to take time, talents, and treasures, and sacrifice that we've talked about in the past, but it's also going to take mourning what has been lost. You know, I look back at some of the days, uh, was anybody at College Avenue the day that the pipes exploded and toilet water started pouring down on people? Come on. I kept preaching right through it because that's what we did back then. We just kept going. Anybody uh, at the uh, service at this building where the air conditioner went out and it got really hot and humid in here? Some of you were because it happened last week and that some of you have experienced that. You have these stories and memories of things that happen from the past that you always get to hold on to. And it's kind of like raising children, right? Like when your, your kid is, I don't have a 25-year-old, but I got to imagine when I have a 25-year-old and I look back at when he was three or four years old or she was six or seven years old, I go, oh, they were so cute back then. Why couldn't they just go back to that? And at the same time, you love that your kid has grown up and has become their own adult. And there's a great part of that season of life, too. Just because you look forward to what's to come doesn't mean that you're not sad of what's behind. And as we mourn together, the second and final point I want to share with you is that we know God will be with us again. As the Israelites are to enter into the promised land and Moses passes away, it's said in Joshua 1, 5 to 6, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Some of you need to hear this this morning. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That if you're going through a season of loss or death or hurt or pain, that God desires to be with you even in that season. He tells us in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them, and they will get the promised land just as God promised them. 
And God was with them through every step of the way. I can tell you from losing a child, I would never want to go through it again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And yet I've never been closer with God than when I went through that. And it wasn't easy to have him be with me because I wanted to keep him at a distance. But once you let him into your hurt and your pain, you can begin to see him use that in your life for others. That this image we have up here of beautiful flowers growing out of death, out of a skull, that you can see him redeem the negative aspects of your life to actually use it to create something beautiful. That we saw hundreds of people come to Christ through the story of my son's loss over the last uh, eight or nine years. And just in a few weeks ago, one of the Focus on the Family Facebook pages shared it again and more people were reaching out to us. I want to encourage you, if you surrender your hurt and pain, he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And some of you are like, well, yeah, if I go through loss, but you don't understand, the reason I feel this way is because of what I've done and the separation I've created between me and God, and I can never go back on that. He could never love someone like me and be with someone like me. I want to remind you of Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am convinced Vince, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That whatever the season is that you are currently going through, if you allow him, he wants to be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When he ascends to the right hand of the Father at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But remember verse 20 right after it, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you are here and going through a season of loss, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a broken relationship, going through a divorce, I want to tell you, when you're at your lowest of your lows, you know the shortest book in the New Testament? Jesus wept. It's two words. The shortest verse, sorry, in the New Testament, Jesus wept. He can weep and hurt and mourn with us. He knows what it's like to go through pain. He can turn the mourning that we sang about earlier into dancing because of the transformation and the redemptive work that he can do in and through us. He did it through us as an individual and as a family, and I want to tell you he can do it through you today, and he can do it through our church. That if during this season we surrender this time to the Lord and say, you know what? I don't like it that some things might change and some people I have done church with is going to change, but I'm going to surrender this season to you and I'm not going to be the consumeristic American latte-driven church that says, where's my pumpkin spice? I'm going to instead say, God, I give you the season. I don't like the changes, but use me in this next time. Be with me. Because it's the reason that we don't see the book of Acts happen so often is because in the American-driven church, I make my choice about church of whether I can attend a show at 10.15 or 11.15, not on whether I can be a part of a community that wants to use me to make an impact in those around me, that believes that the Holy Spirit of God is still living and active and is going to use you if you simply just surrender your hurt and your pain and your broken and your loss to him. Because that's why people have come to Christ. You don't know a lot of the names you don't know the Loomises and the Cabrals and the Nickums and the Cruzies and a bunch of people that when no one believed in that a church would ever exist, just surrendered all of their life and their brokenness and their time, talents, and treasures and said, use me. 
But every season we have gone through, new people have stepped up in that same way. And as those changes have occurred, some of those families, they've had to change their roles in the church. And that happens. And if you read the book of Acts, that happens. And we can mourn the change, but we know that God can use it. That what Jesus said in John 12, verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about his crucifixion. He is about to die. He's going to give his life freely over to be crucified in a gruesome way. And he says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, it's why the Apostle Paul wrote Galatians 2.20, for I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God, that when we surrender our lives, that we deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and serve him, when we acknowledge that he is with us and it's him doing the work and I surrender my life to him, he can use even the broken parts of our lives, even the shame. He can remove the shame and use it to minister to other people. So I don't know what you've come in today with, what your season of loss or your hurt or your shame or your guilt or your pain, but I can tell you if you surrender it to him, he can use it to multiply and reach other people who are dealing with the same things. And as we close out our time, I'm reminded of Jesus' death in that moment, that he freely gave up his life and acknowledged on the cross that he was doing this for those people, for they know not what they do. And I'm reminded of a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who spent the, the dying years of his life in a Nazi camp. And he writes, those who enter into discipleship enter into Jesus' death. They turn their living into dying. Whenever Christ calls us, his call leads us to death. To a complete and utter surrender of God, this life is now yours. But when we do that, he can take that surrender and he can take something that is hard and painful and death and loss and brokenness in our life and he can create it and make it into something beautiful. It's why Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so I want to encourage you, if you are here today and you feel like you could never be made right with a perfect God, he gave up his very life so that this beautiful picture you see could happen in your life. And it could change you from the inside out. And you could go on to acknowledge that God is with me in my pain and in my brokenness and all the things that I've endured. And that for us as a church, as we go into this next season, we can mourn that things will no longer be the same. After this week and in the future, you're going to hear from some of the, the, the leaders that are coming in the church. Next week, John Jones, new downtown Mass Avenue pastor, will be here preaching on Sunday morning. Don't miss it. He's an amazing communicator and preached at some large churches on the West Coast, Texas, all over the place. And you're going to get to see people like that. And we're going to get to empower this next season to go, things are going to change, but God's going to use it if I simply surrender it because if we do the opposite, we turn into the American bitter church that church is about what I can get rather than God using me to make an impact. We'll just end up looking like every other church. And rather than reaching new people for Christ, we'll be one church that goes in different directions. And then we have a whole bunch of people upset with each other and the typical church story. But it can be different. We read it in the New Testament. And if you're here today and you haven't allowed God to fully work in your life, allow the death that only comes when you surrender to Christ fully, he could then use it to bring beauty and wonder and life to a hurting and broken generation and just the faith of a few people could change the course of the next 40 years just like it did in a negative way back in the old testament with moses 
And so, man, I told you I'm going to preach a little bit this weekend, but I just want to encourage you, if you are hurting and broken in this season, he is with you. He is with you. He was with us. He is with us. And he will be with us in this next season. And if you surrender what's going on in your life, he can use it to help other people. Will you pray with me? God, I I know that there is multiple people in this room right now that if they're very honest, they need to experience a complete surrender to your will. Not to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But the desire to be completely surrendered. If that's you in the room, I want to invite you to take that step with me. Pray this silently as I prayed out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I don't want to do life without you. I want to invite you into my brokenness and my pain. And so on this day, I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness because of your work on the cross. I receive eternal life because you overcame death itself. And I surrender my life to you fully. Use me, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. And then I just pray, God, for anybody in the room right now who's going through a season of pain or of loss or of discomfort. God, may you be there with them. And as the theologians describe sometimes that season of the dark night of the soul where they can't even feel you, may they experience you in a tangible way like they've never before this coming week. And to say, only you, God, you are with me in all of the difficult parts of my life. We love you, Jesus. We give you our church. And we mourn the loss of a season, and we celebrate the season to come. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen.